Welcome to TCN Talks. The goal of our podcast is to provide concise and relevant information for busy hospice and palliative care leaders and staff. We understand your busy schedules and believe that brevity signals respect. And now, here's our host, Chris Como. Hello and welcome. Our guest today on TCN Talks is Miriam Grant. She's a consultant who works for CTAC, Center to Transform Advanced Illness Care, uh, CAPC, the centers for, you might have to help me with CAPC's acronym. Advanced call them Palliative CAPC. Care. Thank you. And then NPHI, the National Partnership for Healthcare and Hospice Innovation on Policy. And she works with a lot of people on messaging. Welcome, Miriam. It's so good to have you. It's great to be here, Chris. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you have such a cool story. So first off, let's just start. What does our audience need to know about you? Well, okay. I am a practicing palliative care nurse practitioner. I work at a large academic medical center in Baltimore on the palliative care service uh, a couple of times a month. I have recently been working as a nurse practitioner in in one of the uh, inpatient hospices in Baltimore. But most of the time, I am a consultant doing either health policy uh, or, as Chris said, messaging. And the reason that people hire me for messaging is I'm a second career nurse. My first career was at Procter & Gamble. I worked in uh, advertising for the CoverGirl and Max Factor cosmetics businesses. And I was happily doing that until I, I kind of accidentally became a hospice volunteer in the 90s. And it was so uh, it was such a meaningful thing to do that I quit my corporate career, went to nursing school, and now I am I am doing mostly nursing, palliative care, healthcare stuff, but I obviously know a little bit about marketing. So That's pretty cool, Mary. In fact, I, the way you told the story, and maybe um, I think you said, I envisioned one day that maybe I would get up to heaven and God would say, what did you do with your skills and talents? And you felt like you had this amazing background. I may be misquoting how you told the story. Well, I, so I actually, I was afraid that that when I got to the pearly gates, my, if I told them that all I did with my life was bring the world a better lipstick, that that wasn't going to get me through. So that going, becoming a nurse and going into palliative care was hopefully going to sink the deal. So. <laughs> well, again, you, that was my Jerry Maguire moment with you when you told that story at one of our very first marketing um, kind of symposiums that we had in Teleos in our early days. And you told that story and I'm like, wow, this is so cool to have your background end up in hospice and palliative care. And actually what I love about you is that you are still practicing by the bedside. So that makes what you're talking about very relevant. Um, and so you've had the opportunity recently to work on some fascinating projects. Um, so let's talk about first off the future of hospice and palliative care. I think you've got such a unique perspective. So, um, and you've even gotten to facilitate some groups talking about maybe a, a hospice benefit redesign. So how would you do it, Marian? If you, if you, someone said, Hey, Marian, you have the magic wand, you have a great perspective. How would you do it? Well, I, there's how I would do it, and there's what we're actually going to get done from a policy <laughs> standpoint. Two entirely different things, but yes, you know, the, the hospice benefit is a great benefit, but it has been around for 40 years now, and the world has changed. New medicine has changed, and I, as a, as a provider, I have trouble all the time persuading patients that they have to give up their palliative chemo, or they have to give up immunotherapy, or they have to stop dialysis to take hospice. So I think we all recognize that now that we're in the 21st century, there are things we would do differently. And, you know, I would try to take away the silos. 
if you're a person with serious illness, it, why should it matter to you that there's this thing called curative care or disease modification, but then there's this thing called hospice, but then there's this thing called palliative care? Why can't it all just be on a continuum? So I'm actually uh, in favor of your idea, Chris, which is that the benefit would be expanded so that there would be a pre-terminal illness uh, benefit, palliative care, and that it would be pretty much needs-based, that somebody maybe two or three years before the end of life who might be having issues with symptoms that are bringing them in and out of the hospital or they're having other issues that are affecting their quality of life could get palliative care services ideally delivered wherever they would want them delivered. So maybe that would be at home or, or in the community. And, you know, that that could continue as needed. And then at the moment where the person really starts to have their needs really go up significantly, then they could shift into something like more like the traditional hospice benefit. Now, you know, that would mean you'd have to figure out how to identify people earlier mm -hmm. than yeah. six month prognosis. Uh, and I think there are ways to do that. And it also means that you'd have to be pretty flexible about the services. They could go up, they could go down. But over time, that last period of maybe two or three or four years of life would be more coordinated. And I think most of the evidence for palliative care and even for hospice now confirms that that would save everybody money. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Marion, you've facilitated a couple of groups. What, what advice would you have for us as leaders? And by the way, I was the benefit of one of the groups you facilitated. You are masterful. It's so <laughs> hard to, I mean, you have so many smart people and we all have opinions and we've been there. And so what advice would you have to us as some of us that get to participate in these groups from your perspective as a facilitator? Well, I would say, you know, you guys are amazing. The people who do hospice work, the people who do palliative care work, this is this is hard work. This is not profitable work. This is not financially, you know, terrific work. Um, but I, you know, now the work I do is the most meaningful I have ever done. And I can't imagine what would be more meaningful. I would say to the field that you have frustrations with the way it currently is. And those frustrations could be possibly solved by changes in policies, but that is going to mean change. And I think on one hand, we say, oh, this benefit, it's 40 years old, it's old fashioned, but some of us have gotten really used to aspects of the current benefit, and that is probably going to shift. Um, and so some of the things you might love about hospice might change. Um, and I think it's going to be challenging for all of us to figure out how do we keep the stuff that we absolutely need and want to keep because it's the right thing for patients and families. And how do we shift some of the other stuff because it's a better thing for the for the payer and it's a better thing for, you know, financially. Um, and what is the sweet spot in that? But it, it will mean changing something that everyone has gotten very comfortable and familiar with. So can you sense it as you're facilitating, like, you know, we're, we're like holding on so tightly and we're, <laughs> that's fascinating just to see that you can see that. And, um, cause well, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we had a very interesting discussion about, you know, the six month prognosis thing made sense when most hospice patients had cancer end stage cancer, and there wasn't much medically we could do about that. Now it is problematic. How long with, does somebody with dementia live? How does how long does somebody with heart failure live? You know, heart failure goes up and down and somebody yeah. could die next week and I wouldn't be surprised. And somebody could come back two weeks from two years from now, you know. 
So I, we recognize that, that it, and it's very getting very difficult to prognosticate, but everyone's used to having, you know, two physicians do that, which of course, yeah. you know, I'm a nurse practitioner. So I'm like, oh, I couldn't do that. All right. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing where people were like, oh, I don't want to give that up, but I, I see there is a problem with it. Well, something's got to give there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting, Mary, we actually did a, a study one time and we had our nurses in the IDG, like put patients into a bucket in terms of prognostication. They were incredibly accurate. And so... <laughs> well, you know, it, it because I think that the, the art of prognostication is it isn't just looking at a, at a medical chart. You know, it's looking at the person, it's looking at their function. And, you know, nurses have the have the, the privilege of knowing sometimes those things. It's really talking to the family and understanding, oh, you know, he really hasn't gotten out of bed. He hasn't gotten out of the house. You know, and so those are the things you would weigh in in addition to their ejection fraction and what stage of cancer it is. Um, you know, but then of course I've seen nurses who were certain everyone was going to die, and then that doesn't that isn't true either. So, <laughs> well, um, I, I have to I don't know off the top of my head because our shows are tape pre tape, but it's interesting for you to know that um, Dr. Feliciano, Dr. Harry Feliciano, who's now retired from Palmetto, we're going to do a show on the ICF, the International Class of Function, around the fact that you know there's and Harry was always a champion. ICF is not exactly easy to get your mind wrapped around, but it's a much more holistic way to to basically paint the picture and somewhat prognosticate, actually. So if you have any yeah. cool questions you want me to ask, let me know. <laughs> um, one more question on the on the hospice redesign. And so we talked about kind of the front end and the prognosis. What are your thoughts about the discharging? And so if we're going to redesign, um, I, I've had a call from a for-profit, um, a key for-profit leader recently. And one thing he's like, look, you know, he's pretty adamant, just no discharges or create a very small kind of range of what's an acceptable range of discharge. And I thought that was great coming from a for-profit leader. Well, I would agree. You know, I think, again, if you think about this from the perspective of the patient and the family, you know, they need to have wraparound services and those services need to flex high or low, but they can't go away before the end of things, right? And maybe this is a, a money follows the patient, deal, right? Where they get services with one provider who get, does a palliative care and then maybe another provider takes over when they move into the more traditional hospice thing. But I don't think you can, you can get the money and then let these people go. You know? and, and I think we are all aware that that is where a lot of the abuse is taking place. You, you pick people up who clearly are not going to die in six months. You get eight or nine months of payment from the government, nice daily rate. And then you say, oh, I guess they're going to live on. And you drop them like hot potatoes. Yeah, but that person might die in the next few months or might have needs that increase. And then what? You know, do they have to sign up and go through the whole thing all over again? So I do kind of, you know, we have talked about risk. And this is another thing that I think hospices are going to have to kind of get emotionally and financially used to. I think we're going to have to build financial and, and other risk into these models. So if you take a patient and you get the money, yeah, there's an upside, but there's also probably going to have to be a downside because, look, in this environment, you've just seen the debate about the debt ceiling. No one is going to agree to spend a dime more on hospice. 
they would like to then they would like to spend less right congress is very focused on spending as as some of the as we should be so i don't think we're going to get a very generous tons of money and no i think we've got to work with the pot of money we have and that's probably going to mean upside and downside financial yeah, that's great, Mary. And so, Mary, you've spent a lot of your career too in just the palliative care space, working with CTAC, CAPC. And so, if we, so I was specific in the meeting I was with you, um, where I said, let's call it a serious illness that would be chassis to a hospice. And so, that's one way you could create a benefit. But you know, how would you kind of design a future for palliative care? Would that be one way? Would there be a couple of different ways? You know, I I think they're going to have to be a, a couple of ways. I am very intrigued by some of the integrative models. Um, where palliative care becomes part of the oncology practice. Um, CTAC has a project going now with the American Heart Association where they're trying to integrate palliative care into heart failure care. Um, I would love to see palliative care integrated into dialysis centers and end-stage renal disease. Now, of course, going disease by disease is, is you know, kind of difficult and, and cumbersome, but that is how healthcare is structured, right? Um, now, of course, if you have a patient who has three chronic illnesses, well, I would love it if they got palliative care at all three provi specialty providers. But I, I think if you integrated it, you wouldn't have this issue of saying, you know, we're going to call the palliative care team. And the family is like, what the hell is that? You would go to your oncologist and you would see Marion. Right. Or you'd go to the dialysis center and Marion would show up. Right. And it wouldn't feel it wouldn't feel weird. So I, I think there are. And the evidence certainly suggests that integrating it at the same time as some of these treatments, you can show cost savings and you can show benefits. Well, Marion, so you just I didn't prep you for this, but I think you could do this in your sleep. Um, first time I met you again, you were helping us around the concept of marketing and you said some things where. It just kind of blew my mind in a good way. And so can you just speak to some of the wisdom that you've brought to the table? Because we've done an awful job with just marketing what we do. Um, and we're such good heart people. And well, just because we're wonderful people, you should just. Yeah. <laughs> and it hasn't worked very well for us from a marketing perspective. So what wisdom do you have to share in that area? So, you know, I, I was a um, marketing major. I, I, you know, this is how I look at the world. I think the thing you need to think about when you are talking to people outside your world, so this is potential patients, this is the public, this is even potential, you know, referrers, is you have to think about what's important to them. And I think a lot of people in, in healthcare are very focused on education, but they mean, I'm going to tell you what I think you need to know. And marketing is all about what is important to the person, to the target audience that you're talking to. So when you talk about palliative care, they're honestly not very interested in a definition, and they are definitely not interested in hearing about how it is not hospice. Because the moment you bring up hospice, they're like, whoa, hospice? That sounds terrible. And they stop listening. It's like when, you know, the joke about my doctor said I had cancer, and then you stop listening to whatever else comes after that. If you focus on what the benefits are of palliative care, lets you stay longer at, keeps you more at home, you know, higher quality of life, support for you and your family. That's the kind of stuff people are interested in. And, and I have been involved in projects where we tested simple stories about palliative care. There wasn't a definition, just said, this is what palliative care did for Mrs. Jones. And people were like, oh my God, what is that? I don't, 
I don't know, what is that? So I think that, you know, that that is the one thing is to focus on the benefits, to tell stories rather than statistics. And you know what I'm going to say about visuals. Um, the field has kind of fallen into using these old hands, uh, clasped hands as our, our logo. And that is really not appealing. Because what does that say? That those hands are all about frailty and infirmity and dying. Mm -hmm. And most people are really not wanting to be reminded of that, even if that's their situation. So, I mean, I understand hospices believe in a good death, but that is not something you can sell most of the American public on. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you to our TCN Talks sponsor, Delta Care Rx. Delta Care Rx is also the title sponsor for our May and November 2023 Leadership Immersion Courses. Delta Care Rx is primarily known as a national hospice, PBM, and prescription mail order company. Delta Care Rx is a premier vendor of TCN and provides not only pharmaceutical care, but also niche software innovations that save their customers time, stress, and money. Thank you, Delta Care Rx, for all the great work you do in end of life and serious illness care. You know, Mary, I had an aha, and I think it was actually at, at the marketing retreat that you did. And so it really got me, because really, um, it's getting out of ourselves, right? So getting into, I may have heard it from you, w, tuning into WIFM, what's in it for me? Um, and so the baby boomers, as they're aging, they do have this incredible vision of what that next act of their life is going to be like. And serious illness is a threat to that. It's like a storm cloud compared to this beautiful vision. We're a help to navigate that. And so to me, that's a, a, a wonderful way where we can paint the picture of this is what we do, as opposed to, yeah, the first, if I'm explaining to you, we're not hosp, palliative care is not hospice. Um, that adage that everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. The immediately the 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 survival instinct and just all these barriers kind of go up. And so I, I just think you've done such great work, and I hope you continue to do great work in this area because not many of us are very good at telling the story of what we do in the way that the people that really need to hear it and receive it receive it in the way that you would hope they would receive it. Well, look, and I mean, very other people had a career in marketing at Procter & Gamble. I mean, that's that's a very unusual background, right? There are a few of us, but not a lot of us. So I wouldn't expect you guys to be great at marketing, you know, and I know many uh, organizations are too small to even have a communications department. So you're writing your own website copy, you're, you're writing your own brochures, and uh, I think you're going to share a, a copy of a, a website. Uh, we've actually built an evidence-based website, a toolkit for people for serious illness messaging that has all sorts of evidence on it and all sorts of uh, visuals, headlines you can use and steal, photographs you can use. We bought the rights to stock photographs that you can use for free. And that's all on this toolkit. So I would encourage people who are thinking about messaging. And you're right. I, you know, the, the groups that have worked in this project all went back and looked at their websites with fresh eyes. And they said, oh, my God, we're talking to ourselves. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the average American, you're supposed to communicate on a fourth or fifth grade level. Well, palliative care is a long word. So right there you have a problem, you know. And if you look at some of the technical languages people share, it's just way too too high academically. So, yeah. I think it was Kim Blanchard years ago. I'd heard a presentation from him, and he said that 
he talked about eagles versus ducks. And he said, organizations are like ducks and quack, quack, quack. This is what we do for you. And gosh, I've been on so many hospice admissions, Miriam, and I could think back on those admissions and we're just quacking at people. This is the benefit. This is, and we're just giving on policy and procedure. And so any final thoughts, just advice, like literally speak to hospice admissions nurses and staff, give them a couple of pearls because they have such an amazing product, this amazing benefit. But, you know, we see quite often, oh, they come back and say, oh, the family wasn't ready. No, I think the family was ready. I, I, I as an accountant, there were many times I walked away and thought I could have helped that family get hospice care, but I kept my mouth shut. Well, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right, Chris. And I am sometimes in the hospital when the hospice, you know, admissions person comes in and tries to talk about hospice and I cringe half the time. You know, again, it's what's in it for them. Hospice, we are here to help. We are here to help you stay home if that's where you want to be. We are here to help you and your family. You know, we are here to help you live, live the rest of your life, you know, with quality. Uh, if you take a look at your website, if you're, if the opening of your uh, homepage has information about the Medicare hospice benefit, move that away. No one cares about the policy language of the Medicare hospice benefit. They care about, and this is where some of the headlines that we have in the toolkit would really help you. They care about what what is about hospice going to make my life better. And you can get into the benefit and, and all the technical details later, but that's not how you open the sale. I mean, I don't, I don't introduce myself in the hospital by giving the technical definition of palliative care. I say, I'm here. I'm an ma expert at managing symptoms like pain. I'm here to make you more comfortable. I'm here to help you make decisions. I'm here to answer questions. And most people, I'm mean, very few people when I give them that pitch tell me, no, that doesn't sound good. So, yeah, that's really good, Marion. Well, Marion, any final thoughts? No, other than please, all the work you do is amazing. It really makes a difference in people's lives. It's a shame that they only realize that after they get it, but if they get it, it really changes their lives. And uh, my my uh, greetings and, and warmest wishes go out to all of you that, that you continue to be supported and know that the work that you do is enormously important, even when it's really hard. Well, well, Mary, thank you for the work that you do. Now, I was sitting there kind of reflecting, like words like sales, there's hospice people. Again, I've, I've grown up now almost 28 years. I came from the business world and, oh, we get highs when you hear a word like sales, but sales is just the art of language that helps people get what they need. Absolutely. And we have so many amazing, passionate hospice and palliative care staff. Sales is not a four letter word. It's something that we've not done a good job at. Look at our meeting length of state. 50% of people are for, with us 14 days or less, and it's a six-month benefit. It means we're not doing a good job with our messaging. Well, and I mean, we've got some inherent things. People don't want to think about dying, so that, that's always going to be a problem. But think about who your competition is for messaging. The hospitals with their cyber knife technology, the cancer centers, pharma, you know, pharma with their advertisements for, for, for you know, drugs that will keep you alive forever. Yeah. If you compare that against the old hands, I mean, it's no contest, you know? So you have to step back and think, who else is talking to people with serious illness? And how do I get into that game? 
Well, well Mary, we're going to include your toolkit as far as a link to this podcast. Great. So we're going to close. Thank you, Mary. And we're going to close our shows. We always do with a quote. This one is from Marion. Stop using old hands as a visual for palliative care. And there is a CMS toolkit that Marion sent me. And sure enough, it had the old hands right on the very the, top of the, it. The, the handbook, the public handbook on the Medicare hospice benefit, hands. Hands, yeah. Right. Marion, thank you. And thank you for our listeners for listening to TCN Talks. Bye-bye.